You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we're going to continue in our series, Lies That Are Shaping Our World. Sarah, they just gave you a round of applause for being married to me for 16 years, okay? Meaning your, your patience and your love and your grace and compassion towards me. But we are, uh, we are on lie number, uh, number six uh, here this morning. And I believe this one is going to be one that I think can resonate with all of us. And uh, I pray that your heart will be open uh, to it. But I'll never forget hearing these words. I just do not believe God wants me to be so unhappy. I just do not believe God wants me to be so unhappy. I had just asked a a man, a professing believer, why he thought it was acceptable for him to leave his wife for potentially another. And his response was the tragic verbalization of a lie too many people believe. And this is a lie that is shaping our world, shaping the way that we live our lives. And this is the lie, that the goal of life is personal happiness. That the goal of life is personal happiness. Now, while most people do not articulate it in exactly those terms, They live in a relentless pursuit of their own personal happiness. They are on a nonstop quest because they are effectively chasing what you would say chasing rainbows because their their, their satisfaction constantly calls for them and it is always out of reach. It's always beyond the horizon and and we're uh, we're, we're trying to get it. There's always another dollar to gain. There's always a better car to drive. There's always a nicer place to live, a bigger prize to win, and many believe that there is still an enticing romance to enjoy. But for most people, happiness remains an elusive destination. They're, they're constantly seeking it, and their, their lives are governed by their own happiness. The decisions that they make are based on, will this make me happy? And uh, they're constantly striving for that. So let me start off number one. I'm not going to teach you very uh, long here this morning. We'll enjoy some little bit of fellowship. Ecclesiastes 2. Ecclesiastes 2. Okay? Ecclesiastes 2. We'll get there in a minute. Number one, you cannot always get what you want. Please, let's all like we will not always get what we want. All right? How many of you have ever been on your way home from a vacation and you want another vacation, right? You don't always get what you want. Even those who possess the means to fulfill all their material desires, all of their personal goals, they find that happiness, trying to connect it to those, is an achievement that is fleeting constantly from them. It's 
it's hollow in its nature. And that is the nature of what worldly happiness is. It is rooted in an insatiable lust. Simply what that word lust means would be a desire. Often we always connect that to sexual sin. That's not what the word lust is. It's simply just a desire. You and I, we can, uh, we can lust for a big old cheeseburger this afternoon or hamburger for those that don't want to mix the two, right? Okay, but you can lust for that. That can be a strong desire. There's nothing in and of itself that is wrong with that, okay? But there's this insatiable lust, these desires that you and I have when we're seeking the worldly happiness. It comes from our, from our sinful pride. And so no matter what sinful man achieves, no matter what we accumulate, if we're honest, our hearts always long for a little bit more. We always, we always want a little bit more. And so for the unrepented soul, for someone who's not a believer, someone who's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, there is no true satisfaction whatsoever. There's no lasting happiness. Now you and I as a believer, we, we, we can enjoy that, and we're going to look at how we can enjoy that here in a little bit. And there are a few people in the Bible that can speak more authoritatively on the subject than King Solomon. And he was a man who in, indulged the pursuit of happiness in a way that most people can only fantasize about. Let's kind of take a journey here through verse, chapter number two. Verse number one. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of, of laughter, it is mad and of mirth. What doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet um, acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was the good for the sons of men, that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. And so he begins to, uh, Solomon is beginning to talk about all of the things that, that, that he has access to. Look at verse number seven. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that, all, uh, that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all that was vanity or empty or without any lastingness to it, and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Look at verse 15. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. 
For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which is now in the days to come shall all be forgotten, and hath dieth the wise man as the fool. Verse 17, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And so Solomon, when you, when you kind of just, I'm not going to go break that, all of that down for you, but when you read all of those verses there, basically 1 through 17, we skipped around a little bit, you see that he was literally dripping with the world's goods. I mean, he, he, he had it all, yet it left him underwhelmed. It left him still desiring. It, it, it left him just despairing as, uh, as an individual. But beneath this kind of philosophical tirade that you could kind of describe how Solomon was putting, there are great truths if you and I will spend the time to see them. If you and I will uh, just you know, be, be, be thoughtful as we, as we read this. His words are potentially to spare us from investing our efforts and wasting our lives climbing the wrong mountain. In other words, where if that's all that we want, that, that, that is the goal of our life, is to attain and to be happy. Here's why. Because Solomon, he's already, uh, he's already ascended to the summit of worldly pleasures, so to speak, of worldly happiness. He's already ascended, and he's the one sending the message down to us, maybe, you know, uh, maybe that are down at base camp or wherever. He's like, hey, I've already been up here. You know, like, you know, those that are, go up to the top of Everest, that's insane, right? You got all those different camps, you know, you're literally dying as you go to the, uh, to the last portion up there. He's already been to the top, and he sends notice down to us who are at base camp, and here's what he says. He says, I've had it all. I've enjoyed the pleasures of this world. I, I, I've had everything at my grasp and, and at my fingertips, and here's what he says. He's like, it's like chasing wind. He's like, you, you, you can never attain it. In the end, I despised it all. It's all vanity. Yet Ecclesiastes closes, the book closes, or Solomon's words, by pointing us in the right direction when it comes to the true goal of life. And Solomon calls us to embark on the only quest that is worth pursuing. Look, turn to chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. So he's experienced it all. He has sent word back to us that, that it's, not, it's not a worthy endeavor to uh, seek pleasure, to seek happiness in and of itself as the end goal. Look at verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or or whether it be evil. And so, you cannot always get what you want. That's just, that, that's just the reality of life. But let me say secondly here, the goal of life is to live for God's glory. The goal of life is to live for God's glory. Giving glory to the one who is inevitably going to judge us is the only worthwhile pursuit of our life. The very, the very point of giving God glory, it undergirds the opening lines of the Westminster Catechism. And here was the, uh, the, the question, it said this, what is the chief, highest end of man? 
what is the chief and highest end of man. And here was uh, the, the response. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. So why are we here? What is the, what is the meaning of life? What is the only goal in life that is worth pursuing? And the great 17th century theologians, they, they answered all those questions literally in like 15 words. Let me read them again for you. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. So listen to me, life's not all about pleasing ourselves. And here's the reason why, we cannot. Because our sinful appetites are so unsatisfiable. Even even believers, you and I, we're, we're believers. If we've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you and I, it's still, there's still, it's, it's just, it's just not satisfying. That, that, that bigger home, that, that nicer car. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having a bigger home. There's nothing wrong with having a nicer car. There's nothing wrong with having a, a, a nice meals and enjoy. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that is our life's goal, if that is our, if that is our summit, Here's what I know, and here's what Solomon so accurately depicts, and he has the track record to be able to say this, is that it won't actually satisfy you. It won't, it won't quench the, uh, the thirst that, uh, that you and I still in our sin desire. And so instead, our goal of our lives should be to glorify our Creator. So if you and I are purposing out, if we're setting out each and every day, and each moment of our day to, to glorify the Creator, guess what? You, my friend, will enjoy life so much more. You will enjoy the beauties and the graces that God gave to common man in a way that others just, it's so elusive to them. You will be able to uh, enjoy a meal like never before, if you're doing things ultimately you're living, we're going to talk about how we can do that in a moment, to the glory of God. And so you and I, we are confronted every day with the consequences of abandoning this calling that you and I are called to live for the glory of God. The culture around us futilely pursues the sinful self-satisfaction that it cannot attain. I don't know about you, but you look at the news and you look at the culture and you look at all of the things and you begin to ask yourself this question, is it ever going to end? And the answer is no. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse until we get to heaven. Praise God for heaven someday, right? But it, it doesn't get satisfied. There's always, there's always another, you know, like, man, you know, man, you're certainly pushing the envelope. Listen, there's always another envelope to be pushed. You're shocked right now by culture? Wait five years from now. Wait ten years from now. And it's just, it's just again and again. Why? Because the desires, when we, when we abandon our Creator, which goes all the way back to, to, to line number one, that you can believe whatever you want to believe, and it goes into all the different isms that we, we studied, what ultimately it comes down to is that we are our own gods, and if I am my own God, then I must be happy. And if you don't make me happy, remove you from my life. Is that not what we're seeing? And so what happens is we become gods when we have adopted this relativism 
that, that, that we studied. And then ultimately it comes to the point where it's all about me. It's about my happiness. And if we're honest, this has even creeped into Christendom. You know, Christians think that it's all about, well, you know, God's not making me happy and God's not doing this. And so it's amazing what people will do when things don't go the way they want to do. They start to say, you know, they start to get angry with God. They start to, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I mean, you know, how you start thinking about that. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get mad at God. It just, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. God is not, God, God's not moved by that, you know, with us, you know, doing these things. And so true happiness is only possible when we lift our eyes off of ourselves and pursue the glory of God. And so the resounding testimony of Scripture is that God is glorious and that He's infinitely worthy of our steadfast devotion. Turn to Psalm 73, please. Psalm 73. The psalmist Asaph, he he wrote Psalm 73. And God is glorious and He's infinitely worthy of of our devotion to him. Psalm 73, verse number 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from me. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. So you and I, we, 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 God, is, God is good and he's, and he's gracious. When we fail, he is, he, he, he's strong. We're, we're for that. The Apostle Paul, he recognized this. The Apostle Paul places... Uh, God at the glorious epicenter, so so to speak, of the entire universe. Here's what he says in Romans 11, verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's all about him, and it's all about God. So our response to this ought to be, as Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church in when he said, whether therefore ye eat or ye drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. Do you realize that everything you do today can be done for the glory of God? I mean, apart from obviously if we're going against Scripture, that's not going to glorify God. But everything that you can do can be done for the glory of God. So when... We dismiss here in, you know, 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes or so, and we are around and hopefully we're talking to other people and we're communicating and we're seeing how their week was going and we're trying to enter into their life. We call that life on life, right? When we're doing those different types of things, you can do that for the glory of God. But you also can do it for the glory of yourself. You also can do it to where, uh, you know, to to where you are being esteemed in other people's eyes. You and I, we can go to lunch this afternoon and we can do so to the glory of God. Amen? I love eating, man. But you also, we can do it to the glory of ourselves. Right? Can we not? When was the last time you ever heard a message on gluttony? Right? But we could do it honestly to the glory of ourselves. 
where we're just consuming and we're consuming and we're consuming. And God is telling you through the Holy Spirit, if we're listening to him, hey, you ought to stop, Ryan. But it's like, no, I've got so much, you know, to eat. Whatever the case is, you can do so to the glory of God. We can have relationships with people to the glory of God. And it also can be to the glory of ourselves. It can be to sin and things like that. And so to the glory of God, whatsoever you do, do to the glory of God. He's to be glorified. His glory is to be our life commitment. And the purpose for our whole life, which now belongs to the Lord, if you're a believer, because you've been bought with a price. The Bible says, for what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Because we've been bought, because we belong to God twice, right? We're created in his image and uh, we are his based on creation. But then also through recreation, through rebirth, through born again, you've been bought with a price through Jesus Christ. And so you and I, we are to glorify God with our lives. And so scripture offers us many practical ways that we can glorify God. Listen, when you and I are broken before God and we acknowledge our sin before God, did you know that that glorifies Him? When you and I, when we come before Him, we acknowledge that, God, I've, I have sinned in this fashion that glorifies God. Joshua 7, verse 19, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto Him. What did he take? He took some of the he took some of the stuff he wasn't supposed to take, right? When they annihilated Adam, I, I don't want you to touch anything. Well, he took some of it and put it under his tent, right? And then ultimately, many, many, many people died from it. But Joshua tells Achan, I want you to, I want you to glory, uh, I, I want you to bring glory to the Lord God of Israel by bringing that sin before God. And so you and I, you ever sin? Yes or no? Do you think the wrong things? Yeah. Do you do the wrong things? Do you say the wrong things? You know, sins of omission and commission, you know, things that we're supposed to be doing or we're not doing, things that we're doing that we're not supposed to be doing, all those things. When we acknowledge those, when we, when we say, God, you know, when you, when you live in a broken state of uh, humbleness before God, guess what? That brings glory to him. You are living your life day in and day out for him. And not for ourselves, not for our pleasure, not for, uh, you know, just our, our, our happiness. When you and I are trusting God, when we're, when we're relying on Him and we are trusting Him, the Bible says in Romans 4, this is speaking of Abraham, when God said, hey, you're going to have a child in your old age. He says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And so when you and I, when, 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 when we trust Him, when, we are, when, we're, when we're going through a situation that maybe we don't fully understand and we don't necessarily even have the questions to ask, let alone the answers, and you just say, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you. You are good. You are loving. You're going to rehash the gospel in your heart and in your mind, and you're going to live from those realities. You, my friend, are glorifying God. You are living for him. And so Abraham, he was trusting God. And in trusting, he glorified God. How about bringing spiritual fruit in our lives? So we can learn from 
Galatians, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, so on and so forth, when you and I are displaying those fruits, and there's other different types of fruits, I understand that, there's, there's the fruit of Christ, and uh, there's a fruit even of a, of a convert, someone trusting Christ as their Savior, but here's what, uh, here's what Jesus told his disciples in, in the upper room, and he says, herein is my Father glorified that ye may bear much fruit, that's in John 15, verse number 8. If you want to know the one about Romans, that was Romans 4.20. Romans 4.20. So when you trust God, you're glorifying Him. When you are, are bearing spiritual fruit, when spiritual fruit is coming forth, when you are loving, when you are kind, when you are patient, long-suffering, those different types of things, then listen, you are glorifying God. I want you to turn to Psalm 50. We should be pretty close to there. Psalm 50. Look at verse number 23. The whole chapter's good, but look at verse number 23. Something ought to maybe underline the beginning of verse 23. Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoso offereth what? Praise glorifieth me. Give me thanks. Are you a praise kind of person? Are you a giving thanks kind of person? I didn't say that you had to do it in public, but you ought to try it. It's good. I'm saying like in a group setting, uh, that's maybe not your MO. I get that. But are you a thankful person? If you are, you are a glorifying God person. Gratitude. Thankful. Praise. Now, if you and I are going to praise God, then you're going to be a thankful person. This is not a word, but we've coined it a couple years ago, and it wasn't original with me, I don't think. You're going to have to be thinkful, right? <laughs> you're going to have to think about things. You're going to have to ponder. You're going to have to go beyond just the surface, maybe of a bad day. And you're going to have to get beyond that and see, wow, even in the midst of trial of the day, you can see the beauties of, of God's goodness to you. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 14. 1 Peter 4, verse 14. You glorify God when you suffer... For Christ, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. If you were to go earlier in the chapter, it's talking about, hey, don't don't glory because of that kind of suffering. That's because we're we're sinning and. And, you know, we, we were doing things on our, our own fault. But look at verse number 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God on this behalf or because as you are suffering for the name of Christ. Now, if you and I are suffering for the name of Christ, we're going to have to be wearing the name of Christ, right? So as you are out in your 
uh, out in your day-to-day life, you are going to, hopefully, we're going to be a little bit different. Hopefully, we're going to talk a little bit different than just the average person that, that, that is lost and does not do Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're going to think a little bit differently. We're going to act a little bit differently. We're going to, for those of us that are parents, we're going we're to raise our children a little bit differently than maybe a lost family. Those of us that are married, we're going to treat our spouse differently. Okay, These types of different things. So as we are wearing the name of Christ, as we are living out the gospel in the communities in which God has placed us in, and in the scenarios God's places in, guess what? You're going to suffer for that. Paul said, in a sense, the godlier you get, the more you're going to suffer. You know, if you're going to live for you know, God, Christ Jesus, you shall suffer persecution. And so as you're doing that, and as you are hopefully displaying that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, those types of things, as you're even suffering, guess what? That glorifies God. It glorifies him when you and I suffer well for the cause of Christ. Turn to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter number 4. If life's all about our happiness, then guess what? We're not going to suffer well. And if life is all about our happiness and we're having a bad day, we're not going to be giving thanks on a day like that. We're going to spend that day complaining. And we've all done it, right? So I'm not trying to preach at you. I'm like learning this stuff with us. But this is a lie that is shaping our world. And the lie is God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. If he really cared and he really loved, you would always be happy. And let me give you another one here. Let's go through a long passage here. Philippians 4, verse number 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And so Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. There was a season where the church of Philippi couldn't help him. And that's where you've got to be very, I've already taught on this. I'll probably teach on it again. But you and I, we've got to be very careful of having a, you know, kind of like this metrics of spirituality to where like every single year, you know, you know, you got you got to go, go up, 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 up. You know, it's like if you read the word, this would be like super kiddish. If you read the word for two minutes last year, then this year you need to do it for three and then four and then five. If you gave this much, then the next year you need to give this much. Paul, the church of Philippi, some things had happened there in the church where they could not be as generous as they originally were. And there's no condemnation to them in that. There's going to be seasons in your life where you might have to even take a step back because of something where then another season you can step forward. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, verse 10, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, For I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Where's Paul writing this letter to? Does anybody know? Where where is he at? Prison. Prison. Wow. Prison. How many of you want to go to prison today? No, not me. Not that I speak in respect of one. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. It's an amazing when you put that verse in context. Hello. Verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with me or with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. In other words, no, no one was like entering into his labors, communicating. That's kind of what that, that word would mean there. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent, sent once and again unto my necessities. Even when he was ministering in Thessalonica, the church of Philippi would say, hey, here's some, hey, here's some help that would go your way. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell and a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be what? Glory forever and ever. Amen. You want to know what brings glory to God? You and I being content. Being content. And that goes against the very insatiable desires that we have in us. And so what will happen is, is the world is shaped by this lie. The churches are becoming shaped by this lie. And that it is that, that, that you and I, that the goal of life is for you to be happy. Tell that, tell that to Paul when he's in a nasty, dirty prison where he's been beaten so many times. He's been shipwrecked. He's been starving at times. And then Paul says something really funny. Oh, and the care of all of you, all the churches on top of that. And so all of these things, and Paul's saying, through all of this, through the ups and through the downs, through the seasons of where it's easy to give thanks because it's abundant, and then seasons of where, all right, you're going to have to look beyond the, uh, the, 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 just the, the day-to-day and, and find the grace and the goodness and the glories uh, of Christ that I can be content in one of those days. I can be thankful in one of those days. Glorifying Christ. It all becomes all about Him and not all about us. Praying. In the time when Jesus was up with, the, uh, with His disciples, and he, sa- he says this, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. Now, if you, if you look at the whole context, it's asking according to his word, into his will. And so when you and I, when, when we're praying the proper prayers, that glorifies God. Glorifies him. You want to know what the most selfless thing that you can do? Is to pray. One of the most humbling things you can do on this earth is to pray. Because here's what it's saying when you pray. Every time you pray, I don't know if you say this or not, if you realize this. When you pray, this is what you're saying. I can't, but God, you can, so I'm coming to you. Now, even your prayer could be a selfish prayer, right? You could be in some kind of, in some heart. But the fact that you are praying is acknowledging that God can. Humbly, when you pray. Be a man or woman of prayer, and you will be a man or woman of that glorifies God. Did you know that teaching and preaching glorifies God? 
2 Thessalonians 1, or 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And so that the word of God, which is to say the word of God is glorified, the word of God is esteemed. Well, then guess what? God is being esteemed. God is being glorified. Everything we do, everything that we say should be for the sake of bringing God glory. The highest purpose of any individual can have is to be totally absorbed in the person of God and to view all of life through eyes filled with his wonder and his glory. That is the perspective of what a true worshiper is. And it's the way you and I can truly glorify God. Every moment of your day, even in the mundane, God is absolutely, um, he's called you to your work. He's called you to live there. God has called you to, to, to work in that moment, no matter what it is. Somewhere along the line, sometimes we think like, oh, you know, these are, these are the really good things. No, whatever it is, whether you eat, you drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when you go to work tomorrow, some of you might even have to work later this afternoon, as you do that, and you're doing it for the glory of God. Listen, those things, it, it, it's a great pursuit. The goal of life is not personal happiness. But you and I, we should not ignore the second part of the answer to the question in the Westminster Catechism. Here's what they said. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. So in other words, the only true and lasting joy we can know on this side of heaven is the byproduct of glorifying God. The byproduct of glorifying God. Can I give you can I give you an example of something very mundane that can be for the glory of God or the glory of man? And there's a fine line with this, and I'm not trying to necessarily write a black line for you. But the Holy Spirit of God hopefully can show you in your own life. And by the way, the example I'm about to give is not like a one-time decision where, boom, you're good for the rest of your life. Instead, it's more like kind of moment by moment, day by day. And that would be my family loves to go bike riding. Okay, we, 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 we've really, as a family, we've started to enjoy that. And uh, we're, Blake's starting to get to the place where now he can start to ride behind us. You just pray he doesn't, you know, get you know, run into a car or a person, okay? Um, and I'm being a little facetious with that, but there's definitely some serious prayer with that. But let's take, let's take bike riding. One can go bike riding for God and for themselves or for themselves. Okay, let me, so l l let me give you an example. How can it be for ourselves? Now, again, there, here's where this fine line is is where it's only about our health. Now, should we take care of our health? Yes or no? Yes. But if we want to worship ourselves, no. our bodies, how we are perceived by others, how we all, we have to, listen, this, this, is, this, this is a Holy Spirit ebb and flow kind of thing. But then you can take that very scenario and say, okay, God, I am trying to ride a bike with my family so I can increase my health so I can live longer or, or the life that I'm going to live would be more ability to glorify you with it. 
to have more strength or, or, or whatever the case is. So I, could, so I can do more for Christ. For me personally, I was trying to strengthen my knee, which now you can see that I'm pretty much walking normal, but it just took, it took a lot of effort. Also, you can go on a bike ride to see the beauty of God's creation, right? All those things. So do you see where something as similar, uh, 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 something as, as a bike ride, you can say, that, that can't be construed as evil. Actually, it can if our heart isn't about glorifying God. If it is all about us and so that, so that, we, can, so that we can look a certain way and so that, so that people, can, people that can compliment us and they can say, you're doing a good job and you're beautiful or whatever those different types of things. Listen, that is moved over into idolatry. That's moved over into kind of man worship and self-worship, which then we're not glorifying God. And by the way, I, you say, how, how do you know? It's because it happens. But then there's other times it's like, all right, God, I want to do this for your honor and for your glory. So I can be, so I can be healthy and so that I can uh, do more for you. Do, do you see what I mean? But, there, but there's that fine line. And then you can obviously go just strictly for the beauty of, of the creation that you are going to enjoy. And so listen, the byproduct of glorifying God is you're going to be joyful. That's the byproduct. So the world says your goal in life is to be is to be happy or God's goal for your life is for you to be happy. No, God's goal for your life is for you to glorify him. And by the way, the byproduct of that is deep seated joy out of a relationship that is found in Christ. I believe the world can experience happiness at times. I believe Christians can experience joy, a deep seated reality of the spirit within you flushing out. And so. I want you, by all means, today, to be happy. Go to lunch. Be happy. Enjoy the relationships that God has placed you in. Be happy. The home, the apartment, wherever you get to go this afternoon and evening, be happy with that. Enjoy it. Enjoy exercise. Enjoy the, uh, the, the, the pleasures that come with certain relationships. Enjoy it to its fullest. But realize that within all of those things, do it for the glory of God. And it's worth pursuing. Because I promise you, you could be super happy. You could be super joyful. Listen, this word can kind of be coined as a bad thing. Hello, someone's here. You could be a, a hedonist in the proper terms of just, I want to glorify God, and through that comes joy. I spoke longer than I wanted to, but that's okay. So let's enjoy some fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.